0: You know, if I just move to Florida, and I'm using the word "move" to Florida, uh, it, it, it is because I, when I I come here, I can almost immediately register and vote because I'm a U.S. citizen by birth. But in Puerto Rico, I cannot, and I can die for this country as a member of the U.S. armed forces, mm. but I cannot vote for my commander in chief. So I can I can die for the country, but I can't exercise my full political rights. That is why the people of Puerto Rico, not once, not twice. But three times in the last 10 years have said, listen, we want equality. And the only way you can be equal is by making Puerto Rico a state of the union. Same thing as people in D.C. are saying. At least in D.C. they can vote for the president. We cannot do that in Puerto Rico. But D.C. is also saying, listen, we want to have two senators and, and a congressperson that can vote. Right. Uh, so those those are issues of equal rights, and I think it's important for Puerto Rico and it's important for our fellow Americans from the mainland to know about it. Right, right, right. Um,
1: listen, man, you know, for those. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm NPR, Giles NPR. Snyder. Formal charges are expected to be filed tomorrow against a man who is under arrest for breaking into House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home and assaulting her husband with a hammer. Brooke Jenkins is San Francisco's district attorney.
2: We're expecting that we'll be filing attempted murder charges as well as residential burglary, assault with a deadly weapon, and uh, elder abuse. Um, we're also looking at potentially uh, false imprisonment or something along those lines.
1: Speaker Pelosi's says she and her family are heartbroken and traumatized by the uh, by the attack on her husband. She released a statement this weekend saying Paul Pelosi continues to improve. South Korea's president has declared a period of national mourning following the deaths of more than 150 people trapped in the crush of a crowd at a huge Halloween party. Most of the dead are believed to have been in their teens and 20s. South Korea's Interior Ministry says more than two dozen foreign nationals are among those killed including at least one American. The Supreme Court is set to revisit the hot-button issue of affirmative action in higher education tomorrow. At issue is whether admission programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina unconstitutionally discriminate against applicants based on race. Here's NPR's Nina Totenberg. The schools maintain there are far more students with high enough test scores and grades to qualify for admissions than there are places for them, and that in putting together a student body that's demographically diverse, schools need not ignore a candidate's race any more than they do their home state, national origin, family background, or special talents. If the Supreme Court rules that any race-conscious program is unconstitutional, it could have enormous ripple effects beyond college admissions, casting legal doubt on affirmative action programs in employment and elsewhere. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. Voters in Brazil are headed to the polls today in a highly contentious presidential race. NPR's Kerry Kahn reports the contest has tightened in recent weeks as the incumbent, a far-right populist, is gaining ground.
3: Incumbent Jair Bolsonaro has narrowed the gap, giving cash payments to the poor and launching a dirty campaign against his challenger. Former president and leftist Luisa Inacio Lula da Silva, however, is still favored to win. At a huge rally yesterday for Da Silva, 68-year-old Elena Brito says she can't imagine another four years of Bolsonaro. Pésima, vou chorar, she vou says he's been bad. terrible. She will cry and probably leave the country if he wins. Bolsonaro says election officials are biased against him and there is concern he won't respect the vote if he loses. Carry Khan, NPR News, Sao Paulo, Brazil.
1: And from Washington, you're listening to NPR News. It's been three months since the arrest in Guatemala, the country's most prominent journalist, newspaper publisher Jose Zamora, remains in detention awaiting trial while his supporters say he's a political prisoner. Maria Martin reports.
2: When he was arrested on July 29th, 66-year-old publisher José Rubén Zamora and his newspaper El Periódico had published over 100 investigative reports dealing with corruption in the administration of Guatemala's president, Alejandro Jamate. Zamora has been charged with money laundering and influence peddling and remains in a high-security prison. This week, his son told the Inter-American Court of Human Rights his father has been, in effect, kidnapped while the Inter-American Press Association cited Zamora's case as emblematic of an increase in attacks on the press in Guatemala. The president's spokesperson denies press freedoms have deteriorated in the nearly three years since Alejandro Jamate took office. For NPR News,
4: I'm Maria Martin.
1: Mexico kicked off its day of the dead celebrations this weekend. Thousands of people lined the streets of Mexico City to watch a colorful parade of giant skeletons and other floats. The Day of the Dead holiday originated in Mexico as a celebration to remember friends and family who have died. Today's NFL game between the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars set to get underway shortly. The league is back in London. The game is being played at Wembley Stadium. I'm Giles Snyder, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other
5: contributors include the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, recognizing exceptionally creative individuals. This year's MacArthur Fellows and more information are at macfound.org. And the listeners who support this NPR station.
3: This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM, Community Conscious Radio. Hi, this is Dolly Parton, and you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF. Peace Train, Holy Road. Everyone jump on the peace train. Ooh, I, he, I, ooh, I. Come on, peace train. Hi, I'm Jeannie Holton. And I'm Nathaniel Cox. Tune in every Sunday from we'll noon to friends two friends to, to the Acoustic God, peace, peace Club on WMNF. Here. We play singer-songwriters and acoustic music from blues to bluegrass and speak loudly for peace.
5: Join us every Sunday at noon on WMNF
3: Tampa. And it's getting nearer, soon it will all be true. Hey, it's Lindsay from the Caribbean Cruise, where we play all Caribbean music from the classics from every to, me, be right. to the latest. Sunday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. here on WMNF 88.5, online at WMNF.org, or through the WMNF mobile app. Hey, it's Lindsay from the Caribbean Cruise, where we play all Caribbean music, from the classics to the latest. Sunday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. here on WMNF 88.5, online at WMNF.org, or through the WMNF mobile app.
5: And you want to keep it tuned right here to WMNF Radio 88.5 FM for the rest of the afternoon. Right now, you're tuned to the Sunday Forum, and we're taking your telephone calls talking about issues, political issues. Keep it tuned. Call us 813-239-9663, or you can write us. Dj at wmnf.org dot Walter.
6: The forum is now nine minutes. Nine minutes after that, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Billy and let's uh, again, our guest right now, uh, is Charlie Rodriguez for a few minutes. We, we want to talk to him about what's going on in this, in, in this election season since we're so close to uh, voting, voting day, very close to voting day. And uh, we also have uh, uh our different Walter Dunn, the third. Who's gonna be on and we're gonna talk about this prison reform issue and his new book uh, that that he is going to be uh that he's gonna be presenting this coming Saturday. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. Hey, Charlie, welcome back. Thank you, thank welcome you. Welcome back, man. Uh let's let's go to this to these phone lines caller. Hello, hello. Hey, how you doing?
7: How are you doing? It's the O-N-G, man. Just to drop a little science, and then I'll be out. All
6: right, all right. We love when you drop the silence, brother. <laughs>
7: huh? I try, bro. I try. Uh, just was recently over in the islands and, and, and I heard something. And this, I don't know if Charlie going to express it to you, but the people over there in the islands seem to think that we are uh, arrogant and ignorant. And when you come, they tell you, even when you go over there, don't mess with the people. You know, don't help the poor people and all that. And my thing is this here. I think people need to get off their high horse and drop their egos and all that because uh, this violence they got, I got something for that. Uh, There's a movie that you should watch that I watched if you would, especially you, Mabila. It's called The Light, The Lair, L-A-I-R. It's about Mm -hmm. Afghanistan in 2017 when America was over there. And they found out that there's some beasts Humanoids that was created by Russia now. And they showed it. They showed it. And when at the end of the movie, they showed all the soldiers that died trying to stop them things. They atomic bombed them. They said they bombed Afghanistan for another reason. See, that's why I joined the military, so I know that it's a higher profile than what we used to get. And I I stay on top of that thing. That's why I can express myself like this. But my point is this. They ain't killed that, and that's still coming. And people don't even know that. And, and and what happened was even the Afghanistan that they were capturing and stuff, they had to release them to help fight. See, that was their enemy. They had to take their own enemy. And that's going to happen right here. So you can listen to the sons or the devil knows whatever they is, if you want to. They have no clue. And he can't be in charge of me because he don't know a damn thing. He's dividing us up. And we have an enemy that we're not going to be able to be divided. Their guns can't protect against it. That's what I want you to see. Their guns can't stop this. They bullets, nut, they they invented this, man. And that not only has Russia invented some stuff, China has invented some stuff. I'm just saying, to my interpretation, I believe this. China has invented some stuff. we working on stuff to do, sending stuff in outer space to make, create something that you have no, you can't fathom. But I'm going to walk around and look at you. you looking at me wrong. you talking to me wrong. All this old BS. All this is bull, man. And if you want to save your children in the next generation, you better get off that. And you better come to a conclusion that it ain't just what America doing to you or that the government doing to you. It's something bigger than the government. It's something more insidious than what we can see. And you're going to mess around and take everybody out if you're going to be fighting by yourself. And you can have it. I saw what it is. You can have that. And all these bad guys, send them over there with them things. That That's what I'm trying to tell you. Send them to the things. Don't beat us up. Go over there. You're so mad. You're so bad. Take your butt over there like them soldiers and lost their life trying to save your doo booty. You understand what I'm saying, Wall? And that's I mean. all I got to say. And then go for the election and stuff. We have the right to vote. We have the right to do what's right. And that's what we're trying to do. And you can't go with that. Take your butt over there. Don't keep trying to straighten me out. Go over there and straighten them things out. Because I, I like to see him go over there and talk and act bad and take all uh, jaded j- Jody, Bud, and all them with him. Take them over there and let them fight that. Yeah, it's easy to be up a human being and all that, but go over there and fight what a man has created for you, against you, not the man that's standing with you, by you. And that's it, man. That's all I want to say because I learn all the time. And people is disconnecting with us because we just too arrogant on, we got it all, we do it all, we the best. No, I'm not buying that. It's something different and better than you. It's already been told man, going to destroy himself, and I already see right through it.
6: My takeaway yeah. is that Russia has monsters that they put together. That yeah, superhuman, and they're gonna they're gonna kill us all. Huh? They
7: yeah, no,
6: I'm they, messing they with they you, shot. dude. I'm a kid. Okay, the lock, Look, they, they get through like, Ukraine
5: right now.
7: <laughs> that, that's hey, that's part of it, but be They're trying to cover all this stuff up. Like they fight each other. They fight. No, no, no. When they blew up Chernobyl, I remember that they said it was humanoids in there, and they've been shooting. They say they shot DNA in some other thing to make this. So, COVID shot, okay. And to leave you with this: Watch Willie D. I watch Willie D. Always from the Ghetto Boys. He has a show, and he yeah. has a, a doctor on there. It's a black doctor. They have shot his children with a booster, adult booster, and almost killed them. They wouldn't tell them what it was. They fight them right now. So y'all look at that one too. Where Willie D. and guys i forgot where it was at. Whether it's in Atlanta, Texas, whatever. But they took and shot his grandchildren, and they didn't know the guy was a doctor. Then we start delving into them. They were just covering it all up, hiding their hand. So, what's really going on here? That's mm-hmm. all I want to leave. What's going on on this table? We got the table set before us. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Thank, thank, you. thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Let's see. We take, um, you want
6: to take a couple call. of them.
5: Let's go. Let's go.
6: Let's go.
5: Go ahead, caller.
2: Yeah. yeah Hoodoo. Hoodoo. What's going on, brother? going on with the African. I thought it was going to be another one of those 53-minute uh, wait times.
6: <laughs> now you try to act funny, man. Don't do me like that. Don't do that, man. <laughs>
2: yeah, man. Um, I just, you know, so as you and I discussed a little bit earlier in the week, uh, I guess last week, uh, you know, I just wanted to say a few things about last week's discussion. I think it's still on point with the idea of, um, I think you say somebody was talking about prison reform or something today. <clears throat> I, w- I would say you. that, um, but I, I, before I do that, I want to talk about this, something that just, I think the first caller said, something about Martin Luther King Jr. and Fannie Lou Hamer and McDonald's. I just, I've read a lot. I've read almost every book Martin Luther King Jr., uh, used. To, uh the books ascribed to him and read most of his speakers and listened to him. And I don't remember him saying nothing about McDonald's. And I don't think that all people died. So that people can go to this fast food restaurant and kill themselves with this stuff that they pass off as food. Um, that's not what the, the struggle was always about—freedom and equality. anybody has any different perspective on that? I'm, I hear a bunch of ding dings. I don't know what that is. I don't know if I'm supposed to uh, do something when I hear that. No, 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 look brother. Wait. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I don't, our people did not fight and struggle and die uh, for that. Our people didn't even struggle and fight and die for the vote. It was just a struggle for freedom and equality. And our people at that time, uh, had the, uh, 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 the illusion, and maybe even a delusion, that voting at the polls was the, the way to get free and the way to get uh, uh, equality. And um, I, I think now more and more we've seen over the course of time that uh, there's more than one way to vote. Our dear brother Malcolm taught us that. Uh, at least, uh, you know, we re- reiterated that lesson, you know, the ballot or the bullet. Though, those are at least two options. And since then, we've seen the ballot and the bullet uh, perhaps work. And we've certainly seen burnings work. Uh, you know shout out to all the people who struggled against the uh the the government when uh when when the police killed our brother george floyd uh on you know in a, in a way that everybody could see it happen and, and and compel some people to vote before elections opened up but uh so i, I just want to say that that, that was just kind of disgusting kind of comment you, know, you kill yourself at mcdonald's and martin Luther King doing die for that i don't think so but um Uh, But to to last week's conversation, I just want to say, we talked something about the prison, what they call it, the school-to-prison pipeline, and something about the ADD, and I heard the conversation come up, oh, but... The, callers. the last caller that you had on the show last week was this arrogant white woman who called up talking about the people who uh, were uh, 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 subjected to this uh, rights restoration, these rights restoration commitments like paying uh monies or whatever, like like they should have known. I mean, how arrogant, what yeah, kind of arrogance yeah, is yeah. that? Everybody can't read white lady. Uh, you know, number one, uh, everybody can't count white lady. And more than that, everybody ain't got the damn money to pay for the stuff. That don't mean they ought to go to jail and prison because they're poor or because they don't know. I mean, that's just an, just an arrogant uh, white woman kind of thing to say. And she said it. Um, but the, the, the point I wanted to make that I thought would be helpful to some people is that uh, when we talk about things like ADD and ADHD and all these kinds of behaviors in school, y'all know me well enough to know that I talk about nutrition and health and, and, and food being the medicine and medicine being the food. A lot of children show up to school without the stuff their brain needs to function at, uh, at optimal capacity, maybe not even at, uh, in a, in a Healthy way. I mean, you know, Google it. You know, I, 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 you can uh, berries with antioxidants, uh, you know, B vitamins, folate, stuff like that. Uh, 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 you know, omega threes, you know, that you get from uh, fatty, you know, like fish, like good fish and stuff like. I mean, children very. Really, I have two children in school right now, a high school and a middle school, and I tell them, ask your friends what they had for breakfast, and if they had breakfast, it wasn't the the kiwi, the citrus, the oranges, the the blueberries, strawberries, bananas, pistachio nuts, the pumpkin seeds, and all that stuff that we had. They have. Uh, Food, uh, fruit or something uh, cup, whatever p- Pussy proof I don't Oof. know whatever the story is. <laughs> but, it, it, but it, it, it's like and, and so you show up and then you like oh his the child's brain is not working right and so now we got to give him medicine and now uh now, now they got to be in a special class and it, you know after a while you know they drop out of high school cuz they don't feel like being on this medicine and if they don't take the medicine they act a certain kind of way and now they're in this pipeline that you're talking about but the reality is we don't have to wait for election day to vote we can vote at the dinner table we can vote at the breakfast table we can make sure that our children have what they need so that their brains function in a certain kind of way um, where you know uh, they're not uh, you know, disturbed and I, and I won't say that this it's, is it's, the it's a proactive approach the brain because this colonial education will make any intelligent African, even if it's a child, you know, at, at, you know, uh, uh, have some what they call attention deficit disorder. I had it. I, couldn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to know nothing about what George Washington did to the uh, so-called idiots and, you know, how many times we got beat up by the, uh, by the white man, slave man, or whatever. Like, I, I, I had attention deficit when it came to that. But, uh, but we can teach our children uh, the right kind of history so when they show up to school, uh, then they have some questions for these teachers who probably need to eat some blueberries and strawberries themselves. And I just—it's so, <laughs> so much that we can do for ourselves. I mean, you know, in voting, I ain't telling nobody not to vote. I'm voting. Matter of fact, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm voting. i Like you know, shout out to Mike Isaac I, in case you want to know. I'm I'm voting. And but that's not the only thing that we can do for ourselves and for our children. We got stuff that we can do independent of the voting poll process. And I hope uh said everything I needed to say uh, before the next time we talk, and I appreciate you allowing me to
6: share. I I, I think you got it all, brother. I think you got it all <laughs> I
2: hope it. So.
6: I think, and, and, so. and it all very valuable. All of it very valuable because yeah, right think, on, right on. I think right on. the uh, proactive approach, uh, Char- Charlie would certainly agree. Yes, uh, the proactive approach to voting, in, in, in the metaphoric way, in the actual way, in both in both ways, both metaphorically and actual. Uh, would be at the at the table, uh, uh, nutritionally, uh, uh, in in the community, and everything that you do every day, leading up to the time of voting. Your actions speak louder than your your words or, or could ever do, or even your tick on the on the uh, on, on the on the uh, ballot. You know when it comes down to it. Uh, but we have certainly got to make sure that we're on all fronts, and that we're doing whatever has to be done so we can win. So thank you, Brother African. We appreciate that. Um, Charlie, uh, any
0: final words, man? Well, once again, just to uh, ask the uh, people to turn out to vote. I mean, as I say, in a democracy, your vote is very important, and uh, we need to turn out to vote. Uh, We are supporting uh, Congresswoman Val Demings uh, for the Senate. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is committed uh, with the uh, Puerto Rican community as well as with all Floridians. I think she's an outstanding woman who has shown with her example that she is committed and that uh, she is a person who uh, really puts her uh, words in action Mm -hmm. where we need to see them. Uh, And uh, she's sincere, sincere. Not like Marco Rubio, who 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 does a lot of double talk and then doesn't deliver at all. And uh, I am asking my Puerto Ricans who live here, my fellow Puerto Ricans to turn out to vote and, and support Val Demings. As well as Charlie Chris. Charlie Chris was recently in Puerto Rico, as well as Val Demings, looking at what had happened with the hurricane over there. Uh, I was surprised to hear uh, DeSantis criticize in the debate uh, Charlie Chris because. He went to Puerto Rico, and, uh, uh, and he was saying that he, Charlie Chris was hiding in Puerto Rico. No, Charlie Chris was hiding looking at Rico. the situation yeah. that was happening. And he's a congressman. He's helped us before, and he's doing it now. And uh, obviously now he wants to work for the whole people of, uh, of Florida. And uh, Val Demings, obviously, uh, was all, also there. Uh, Darren Soto was in Puerto Rico also looking at the situation. Mm. And, and DeSantis never said anything about what happened in Puerto Rico, whereas the governor of Puerto Rico, Pedro P. Luizzi, as soon as we heard what was happening here with ion uh that's a that's a hurricane right uh, right <laughs> right right uh and uh the governor of puerto rico said listen you know we're concerned and obviously what our fellow Floridians, what you're going through uh, but desantis never said anything about what was happening in puerto rico which you know once again demonstrate there's no sensibility at all i think well, uh yeah there's no connection here right. uh, he's not able he's
6: in he's Unable to make that connection between the devastation in Puerto Rico and the state of Florida, the mm-hmm. state that he's in, uh, with, with any neighborly or humane and human way, and he, he just he just does he can he, he is incapable of doing that. It seems, and, and and I I just I don't I don't well I don't know as, but, as a but, human being as yeah. just a part of the human race. It, it's like how do you how do you not know that? How do you, you know, like, of course, on the flip side, uh, Senator Chris pointed out, well, he was at a football game. <laughs> <laughs> he was at a football game. It, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I, the, the devastation that we saw and the type of things that 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 were put down in terms of uh, con, uh, Congress, uh, Congressman, um, Senator Chris and what he did in terms of being in Puerto Rico, but still being able to address those issues in uh here in Florida sure. yeah. through the devastation that we saw, I think shows real ingenuity, you know, and, and a care and an ability to understand those, connect those, those, those two things. There's a there's a problem. There's a disconnect with our with our governor. There's something that connecting up here.
0: And Walter, what I heard that he was using taxpayers' money from Florida to ship people who had come through the south border in Texas Mm. and fly them to Massachusetts and to New York with taxpayers, Floridians' taxpayers' money. Uh, I was kind of surprised. How can he do this? I mean, how can you use the money of your state to deal with a situation does not affect your state. I mean, and, and then you look at the amount of money they have spent. Uh, what was it? One point nine million dollars in just you know shipping, uh, moving uh, uh, the, the those who had, those uh, immigrants who had come into into Texas and, and take them to Massachusetts or to New York. I mean. Anyone here knows that even if you charter a plane, it should be, what, 50000 or $100,000? I don't know. you know, But, but $1. $1.8, $1. $1.9 million,
5: uh, you know, that's something that really, really needs to be investigated. But, but uh, the fact that racist policies oh, like sure. that keeps him ahead means that racism kind of is the point, isn't it? That's right. Prevailing, yeah, totally point, right. prevailing point. Prevailing point.
6: I don't know, man. Listen, Charlie, thank you so much, man. And thank you
5: for having me, yeah, Walter.
0: Always Always man, good know, to be you're here. welcome
6: here. Uh, say quit hiding, man. And tell, uh,
0: please, <laughs> this my my best regards to your wife from Moca, Puerto Rico. <laughs> I mean, and I oh. uh, hope to see you in Puerto Rico uh, for the Christmas uh, season. Oh, my God. You know that we always, we always has a lot of fun in Puerto Rico Absolutely, already, at at least, Christmas season. But we got to keep that plant, gotta keep <laughs> that power plant running, bro. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely. Mean, I mean,
6: last time oh yeah. had, it just I know. had the, the big fire there. Yeah. It's uh, unfortunate. Somewhere. Yeah. But, um, Hey listen thank, and, and we went to the McDonald's Right um, Before we went over to the Before we went to um, uh, The room To, to the room Bacardi right? Bacardi uh, okay. yeah, okay. well, We were there all We were there all oh, there, You, you, you like that place that, <laughs> We like that place uh, But I'm gonna tell you something man That was great That we could see the smoke Yeah Coming from the From the uh, power plant
0: Yeah it was And my accident. wife was like What is going on I said that's the fire That's yeah. what's, that's What's going on, terrible sir? Terrible accident that happened there, and uh, yeah, uh, we have a, a, a very old uh, uh, network or uh, grid system, electric grid well, yeah, system, yeah, yeah, and we yeah, have yeah. to it's deal with that. Up, right? And and we did get some federal, fu- we did get federal funding, but unfortunately, under under forty five, uh, they put so many restrictions on the use of the funds that uh, they were not dispersed. So we weren't able to start doing. You know the the You're improvements right. now. Now they're doing it, uh, but it takes some time, and we do have to do more. And uh, but the we're grateful to President work. Biden and, and and Congress that has approved the funds to do that. Make sure they're watching the
6: quality of work that's being done. Oh sure, sure, definitely. Hey man, this. Thank you so much, Charlie Rodriguez. Everybody, take care. Now. All right, all right. Hey, we're gonna be right back with our friend Walter Dunn. We got a bunch of calls on the line. We're gonna get to them in a little bit. Uh, but first, Mobili, what we got? do we have it yes yeah you got it why
5: africans were so dangerous a threat Why
6: we're a threat threat, y'all right
5: here on the sunday forum
6: (laughs) based on my
8: own analysis of world history ultimately there is no conclusive answer to this question as we can't get into the minds of non-africans all i can do is highlight some patterns and draw some conjectural conclusions also This video is not intended to be some sort of plea for empathy or acceptance from outside of the African diaspora. It's simply intended to be considered as a working model, showing how history evolved into what it is today as it concerns our current social, political, and economic condition as afro descended people. I really appreciated the perspectives you all gave in my last video, and so I'm hoping that we can do the same. So let's begin. Despite questions concerning the reliability of Greek scholars and historians like Diodorus Siculus and Herodotus, their work highlights a very important narrative that did exist in ancient times. Whether their words about Africa were true or not, they expose what the common discourse was in ancient times amongst elites, an ancient commentary that influenced later periods. Some of the ancient narratives suggest the belief or at least the consideration that Africans were the first people and also that they were among the first civilized. Now the Ethiopians, as historians relate, were the first of all men and the proofs of this statement they say are manifest. For that they did not come into their land as immigrants from abroad but were natives of it and so justly bear the name of Altaxthons, is, they maintain, conceded by practically all men. Furthermore, that those who dwell beneath the noonday sun were in all likelihood the first to be generated by the earth is clear to all, since inasmuch as it was the warmth of the sun which, at the generation of the universe, dried up the earth when it was still wet and impregnated it with life, It is reasonable to suppose that the region which was nearest the sun was the first to bring forth living creatures. I find it fascinating that a Greek scholar came to a similar conclusion as we did concerning the origin of humans, placing them on the African continent. Echoes of this narrative survived into more modern times. One of the most popular Orientalists, known today as the general title Middle Eastern Studies was a man named Constantine de Volney of the 18th century. Here's what he has to say. We have the strongest reasons to believe that the country neighboring to the tropic Sudan and southern Egypt was the cradle of the sciences, and of consequence that the first learned nation was a nation of blacks, for it is incontrovertible that by the term Ethiopians the ancients meant to represent a people of black complexion, thick lips, and woolly hair. Despite what our perspective is today, people in ancient times and even some of the earliest observers concluded that humanity's oldest civilizations and people were Africans. It's important to note that this perspective was only recently challenged. I think if we use this ancient perspective and the perspective proposed by De Volney, we can certainly see the beginning stages of how African people came to be viewed as a threat because the implications of being the oldest human people possessing the oldest civilizations is obvious. The second reason why African people may have been viewed as a threat plays on the previous ancient model. Because of the narrative advanced by ancient writers and their modern contemporaries, a primordial fear of genetic annihilation inevitably developed. So, the thought process could possibly be the following. If these Africans are the oldest humans who possibly spread throughout the planet, then humanity can easily go back to its original African mold. Even though it may sound odd, this was a thread of thought in the psychology of the one-drop rule, which pretty much stated that if anyone had one drop of African blood, then they have corrupted the non-African blood and therefore should be considered black or negro. It seems clear that this idea was developed to identify African ancestry in whatever color or phenotype it came in. This identification would then lead to oppressing that individual, keeping them in the same denigrated state as other black people so that they would not have to compete economically, socially, politically, and especially genetically. However, this idea of genetic annihilation was not present amongst all European ethnic groups. In Latin America, for example, the Spanish and the Portuguese seemed to have children with their enslaved African women and even claimed them, creating a new class and ethnicity. These individuals, for the most part, had privilege and access to the goods and services the society could offer. This also seems to be true amongst the Arabs, to a degree. The Arab slave trade was just as brutal and dehumanizing as the Atlantic slave trade, and they certainly had children with enslaved African women. Some of these children navigated the world as an Arab because they adopted the identity and the culture of their Arab father in full. Some of the Moors reflected this reality of Arab and African parentage, but again, identifying in full with a non-African father. But at the same time, many Arabs perpetuated the culture of eunuchs among their enslaved Africans, seemingly to rid themselves of that genetic threat. So there does seem to be some duality there. All in all, the idea of Africans posing a genetic threat did not apply to all, but was unique to some non-African groups with imperial power. Our final threat seems to come from the fact that the African continent holds so many resources, and these resources ultimately translate into wealth. It's no secret that many modern-day nations want to control the resources coming out of Africa, and they do a good job at it. This was certainly true in ancient and medieval times. I think the Arabs were well aware of this when they first encountered the Ghana and Mali empires. Muslim writers spoke about what they heard from the merchants who traveled to Ghana and its adjacent civilizations. It is no exaggeration to say that the Arabs were very impressed with the wealth of the Ghana Empire. The first writer to mention the Ghana Empire was an astronomer named Al-Fazari shortly after the year 800 AD. He referred to the Ghana Empire literally as the land of gold. A century later, Ibn Hakel described the king of Ghana as the richest sovereign on earth, for he possesses great wealth and reserves of gold that have been extracted since early times to the advantage of former kings and his own. Ibn Hakel also writes in his description of Sidra concerning its trade across the Sahara and with Ghana. I saw a bill in Audugas certifying a debt owed to one of them of the people of Sidramasa by one of the traders of Audugas, who was himself of the people of Sidramasa, and the sum of 42,000 dinars. I have never seen or heard anything comparable to this story in the East. I told it in Al-Iraq, in Fars, and in Khorasan, and everywhere it was regarded as a novelty. As Sheikh Job says, Africa was so distinguished in the world for its legendary wealth that it led the Arabs to say, Against the camel's mange, use tar, and against poverty, make a trip to the Sudan. This speaks volumes as to how Africa was perceived. Everyone who knew about its wealth wanted a piece of it. As we can see, the Arabs encouraged it, making a proverb out of it and Manzamusa's visit to Cairo displaying his vast wealth and power certainly ooed and awed, but it simply gave more reason to heighten fears of a black planet, if you will. Because everyone knew that access to wealth and resources consolidates and increases power, period. And whoever owns it, controls it. And it's clear that Africans were deemed as the owners first from the Arab perspective and later the European. This was indeed a fatal combination for Africans who were seemingly more interested in other forms of capital, rather than world domination. And so, this history paints an interesting picture of why Africans and their descendants may be viewed as a threat. The early narrative of Africans being the first humans, the limited yet ever-present idea of genetic annihilation, and finally The perceived advantage of immediate access to wealth and resources made Africans a threat to their neighbors, the Arabs and the Europeans, both of which took action as soon as they could. I believe this is why there was so much pushback against pan-African movements and economic powerhouses like Black Wall Street and others. Because if people of African descent all across the globe can consolidate a unified identity they can then become owners again. Anyway guys, like I mentioned before, this is just my own personal analysis of world history. I really hope some will be willing to share their thoughts and add or take away from the ideas presented. As mentioned before, I'm hoping this can be used as a sort of model for us in the diaspora, so that we can understand our world a little better, bring about less confusion, and be able to process why we see the things that we do. Well, I'm all out, guys. If you like these videos and want to help in this continued production, consider... You have been listening to Why Africans
5: Were Considered a Threat, usually the threat of genetic annihilation plus world domination through resource (laughs) Controlling resources. So we'll probably hear more from Hometown History team going forward. Walter, you're tuned to Sunday Forum here on WMNF. And we're taking your telephone calls, 813-239-9663. Here with Walter L. Smith, the second. Go ahead. All right, all right, all
6: right. We're back. We're back 40 minutes, 40 minutes after the hour of 9 a.m. We and
4: we are in studio with my man man Walter Dunn third. How you doing, brother? Hey, I'm blessed to be here. Um I just want to let you guys know that um I'm, I'm very appreciative of giving me this opportunity, this platform to be able to speak, be able to get my message out, tell the people what you know I really want to do with my life now that I'm out.
6: Yeah, man, definitely, man, definitely. You know, this this is one of the Beige Brothers. So, and I, you know, I'm me being a Wesley Stipes type. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 uh, uh you know, you are well educated, man. Well educated. Um, and upon you know the first thing that somebody says in these types of things, the stereotypical thing is you know, no, when they hear your story. Mm -hmm. And I want to take a moment uh, for people to understand, you know, this could happen to any one of us out there. But what you're about to hear, the story you're about to hear could happen to any one of us out there, okay? So, um, Brother Dunn, please, tell us your story. Tell us your story.
4: Um... 13 years ago, you know, I was a productive citizen, you know, homeowner, educated, like you said, college grad, working at a university. Where'd you go to school? Um, I, went to, I went to high school here, Blake High School. Okay. Um, you know, I went to Hillsborough Community College as well, graduated from there, went and played college baseball in California. Um, you know, just a productive person 13 years ago, you know, had a family, um, ended up getting a divorce. From the lady I was married to, my children's mother, and, you know, she tried to commit suicide, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, had real mental health issues. And back then, 13 years ago, we didn't really, you know, society as a whole really didn't magnify how bad mental health was. Now, today, when we, we look at mental health, mental health is everywhere, you know, from football players with the CTE to, you know, all types of people going through depression and stuff like that. You know, well, at that time she tried to commit suicide um, when I didn't want to be with her no more, and her mental health started to to decline. Mm. Um, A judge, Judge Emily Peacock, right here in Hillsborough County, gave me full custody of my children. You know, so at that time I was a productive man. I was working for a university. You know, I was very successful. And What, what was your position at the university? I was a director of admissions. You know, I would help people enroll in school, help them with the financial process, help them with the books and stuff like that, you know, to get enrolled to further their education. So education has always been big to me. You know, um, I like people who are educated. I like to have educated conversations. You know, education has always been a big background in our family. And when that time came, Walt, you know, I had moved on. You know, I want to continue to safeguard my children. Um, The judge, Emily Peacock, gave me full custody of my children, you know, Baker acted her, outpatient, gave her a whole bunch of stipulations. And from that moment on, you know, it was just it was just a, a fight to to get back to me. Right, right. And then and then the boot dropped. And then the boot dropped. Um, I never have been arrested a day in my life. Never been handcuffed. I used to even look down on people who used to get arrested and ask myself, what what are they doing with their life? Right. right. And Say that again. I used to look down on people who used to get arrested. You know, I'm not afraid to admit that, you know, um, nobody in my family has ever been arrested. So when we would see people, you know, not that we know, but people that would make the newspapers or... You shake your head. It would be like, hey, man, you know, what's the deal? why are they selling drugs? Why are they breaking the houses? Why are they committing crime? Because, you know, it's just, that's not normal. That's not normal behavior. Productive citizens don't go out and try to harm people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nearly 13 years ago, 20 minutes... Changed the whole outcome of my life. What happened? A fight took place. You know, I got led to a, a, a address, a home that I didn't know. A fight took place. I left the home. And before that night was over with, you know, I had got accused of committing five felonies. You know. Um, what were
6: the five felonies? You know, was?
4: I had got accused with um, burglary with an occupied dwelling. First, it was told that I came with a firearm, which is a punishable by life charge. It carries a life sentence. I was charged with kidnapping that night, which is a life sentence charge. I was charged with felony battery, aggravated assault, and that's what I was charged with that day. Um, You know, and you would have told me what is a felony? I probably couldn't have answered that question 13 years ago. I I wouldn't have been able to tell you the categories of a felony. And, um, you know, going to jail, you know, it was just a very... Difficult thing for me to do, you know, being able to be free one moment, never been through that process, and then you put me incarcerated and tell me, hey, this is what your life looks like. Your freedom is gone. My freedom is gone. Your freedom is gone in just in just moments, 20 minutes. 20 minutes.
6: Tell us what, what happened as, 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 you know, once, once this happens, where, where are we at that
4: point? When I got arrested, you know, the difference with normal people getting arrested is, you know, a lot of people get arrested. They bond out. You right. know, when I got arrested, my my story made, you know, high profile, as they say, paper, radio, uh, TV. It was headlines. It, it was headlines. So right. everything that I had went through was being magnified by the public. And... I remained in jail. I could not get bond for 32 months. I never got bond while I was in jail. You because know? of the type of felonies. Not really, because only, not only because of the type of felonies, but the two uh, alleged victims in the case, you know, they would come to court and basically tell the judge that, you know, I'm a monster. Don't let me out. You know, I could hurt. I could potentially hurt them. And our first judge that I had set the tone and said, we have a preponderance of evidence. Will we, you will never get bond in Hillsborough County. Wow. So, so here I am. You know, never been in trouble. You know, a story had been told, and I I was held with no bond. I was told to sit. What was that like for you? It was crushing. You know, when you keep a defendant incarcerated and not giving him the ability to exercise, you know, being able to bond out, he's he's at a disadvantage because he can't actively fight his case he can't go and collect evidence he can't you know gather witnesses he can't he is just confined and has to rely on a third party to help lead the cause for his freedom right. so when and it's a constitutional right that you get born you right. know there's people who uh, you know get out there and commit murder and get born right. but here i was you know uh was told that we're gonna hold you Incarcerated, and you're either going to plea out to go to prison, which is where you sign a physical document to say, I want to go to prison, or you have the courage and the strength to go to trial and fight for your innocence.
6: And so you clearly fought for your innocence. Absolutely. How did that take place? You know, I mean, after that has to be hard, it has to be very hard.
4: You know, most people, especially if families are out there and they have a loved one that's incarcerated now or have ever been arrested through the criminal justice system, and they're fighting to correct the wrongs done in their case, in my mind, it's like a person who is going full speed to a cliff. Mm. And either you're going to drive off that cliff and that car is going to spread its wings and become a plane and fly and get you safely to the other side, or you're going to go 100 miles an hour and go off that cliff. And wherever you go is where the system takes you. So in my mind, that's how I felt fighting for my innocence, that I'm driving 100 miles an hour and there is no stopping. Either you're going to fly and make it to the other side or you're going to, you know, go down. And wherever the system takes you and put you in the state of Florida, that's where you're going to end up at. So it was just, you know, um, it's a mental battle, depression, heartache, pain. You see, you know, families getting separated. You know, I, I lost a lot. By being incarcerated for thirty-two months, your you know, children—it's the most important thing,
6: you know. Where, where are your children at this point?
4: Um, my children are grown, um, you know, because of the situation that I was in.
6: You and know, but when, when, when you were there? When, when, when you were in the situation, when you were arrested, you were put, you, were put, you were incarcerated, and sent to, and you were in jail. Mm-hmm. Then they send you to prison, right. correct? Where are your children at this point, point? and how old are they? at that
4: point at that time when i got sentenced to prison um my son i believe was 10 years old and my daughter was seven and because of the situation you know i had lost all contact with him you know and um one thing that i was the type of man i am is i'm a man that you know that takes care of my responsibilities right i'm not a father that walks away and says i fathered a child and now it's the mom or the grandma's responsibility to um to take care of them right. you know i'm a man that stands firm that says if you father a child that, that, that's your responsibility and you right. take the best care for them but when i was separated from them i was unable to ever get contact with them mm. you know um so you know not only fighting for my freedom and having that taken away from me you know they were the most important thing in my life that got taken away i had full custody of them right. you know right. so, and it got taken away but you know going to prison you know it's you meet all types of people. You meet bad people, you meet good people, you meet educated people, you meet people who just made a bad decision. Um, so you're in prison with all types of people and then at that point, it doesn't go about going to prison, it's about survival. Wow. It's about survival. Wow, wow. Um, you have a
6: book. <laughs> I do. You, a book. you got a book, you have a book. I, I, I got I got to say it, man, this is, this is an excellent book. What's it called?
4: It's called Through Innocent Eyes. Um, it, it comes out officially um, November 5th, which is next Saturday. I've been grateful enough to be sponsored. It's at the Water Street Marriott. You know, it's uh, free for the, the public, you know, mm-hmm. to come to support me. It's, you know, it has been sponsored. to maintain been taking care of everything. So, you know, just to be able to release the, de- the intricate decal- details mm-hmm. of, my, of my story, you know, for people to be able to read behind the scenes on what took place and how I— arrived at the point that i'm at now you know it's just an awesome story 320 pages um, i'm just grateful to be able to tell my side to get that narrative changed you know a lot of people in society get accused with things and they never change the narrative Mm -hmm. so if i write in the paper right now that you're a bad person but your case gets overturned it never gets publicized so people will only look at you one way Right, Right. people will only have one side of the story you know and in law in society it's Your story, my story, and the truth. But in law, Walt, it's your story, my story, and what the evidence support. So when the evidence favors one of the parties, that's the true story. And I'm free right now because of the evidence.
6: Mm. Mm. Brother, what, what, um, what message do you want to send out to everybody through your book?
4: You know, um, I'm actually drop a spoiler alert right here. All right, you know, ahead, an exclusive ahead. right here. I was saving mm-hmm. this for for you all. Um, not only am I producing, or have been sponsored to produce my story, which is also a, a, a documentary has been shot. The first day I got wow. out of prison, I was fortunate enough to have my sponsorship team pay for a documentary to f- start filming the first day I got out of prison. So the documentary that's currently being filmed right now mm-hmm. actually has footage of me walking out of prison for the first time after all my years. And they're with me multiple days. Um, so that's already taking place as well. But wow. come Saturday, not only do I get a chance to release my story, I also have, you know, when I went to prison, you know, I became a lawyer, a law, a law clerk, which is like the prison lawyer. And I studied law to where I could get my case overturned, you know, doing it myself. My so you got your case overturned. Right. Right, you know. How long did it take for you to get it over. It took me nine years to walk back into Hillsworth County for them to send a van to come get me from prison to bring me back to Hillsborough County to get to get my to get my case overturned. Um
6: And I am looking over here at, I, at your mom, man, and she's about to just break down over here.
4: How you doing, Mom? I'm
5: good. You all right? Yeah.
4: All right, all right, all right. On on Saturday, not only will I le- release my story walt, I've also put together another book called How to Navigate Through the Criminal Justice System. Excellent, excellent. And it is because so many people, so many people just don't have the education, do not have the knowledge to be successful or to succeed in what they're doing in the criminal justice system. So I've written a book where from the time of arrest Mm -hmm. to even people that are sitting in prison right now can get the real information they need to get to freedom. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to see no more people be disenfranchised because society or wants to keep us ignorant. You know, I was with you yesterday at the Criminal Justice Summit. You said something so profound, uh, 1865, when the emancipation took place, six to eight million people who were in bondage got released. Mm -hmm. You know, and I sit there in the back thinking, you know, hopefully my book, once it gets released, when they're buying it, and it's not about the money, it's about I want to see our people not be disenfranchised anymore. I don't want to see our people being bondage anymore. Right. I want to be part of the solution where I can bring your fu- your family, your son, your daughter home to you.
6: Right. Got it. uh Listen, folks. Walter Dunn the 3rd, Walter Dunn the 3rd, our guest right now it is 9:55, 9. 9:55 55, 9. 55 in the AM. Uh man, I I am I am honored to have you here on this show. Um even more honored to have your mother sitting here, um, and and she. I know this is this is really touching you, Mom. Is, is your microphone on? Yeah. All right, Mom. T- tell us, what 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 are your feelings right now? What, what are you, what's going through your head?
0: I'm
3: proud. Um, I'm happy he's home, but I'm prayerful that his book helps other mothers keep their children from being incarcerated. We have become immune
0: to expect the cattle call of our children going to prison. Mm. And we need to stop signing these plea deals. We need to stop being intimidated by the criminal justice system. And we need to fight and fight hard and fight loud and find a voice that becomes a choir.
6: Mm. Absolutely. Something that's resounding. Something's resounding in our favor. That that is that's a very difficult thing in our society. And for a black male, especially, it's very difficult. Because it, let's just face it, the expectation is that we end up in this situation number one. Um and, and what happened to you is evidence of the fact that it happens to it can happen to any one of us, absolutely. Right? It doesn't matter what what your what, what your background is um, in terms of how you grew up. Um, society has a very nasty way of reminding you, if you if you in case you forgot, <laughs> you're still
4: black, buddy. You know what I mean? Is
6: it, how, how, how does that <laughs> now
4: resonate? Does- with you? You know, I never thought that the color of my skin would impact me in the courtroom. You right. know, I can I can honestly say, you know, with no no shade to anything else that when I was going through the system, I saw people who were shade lighter than me mm-hmm. get different breaks, you know, to get certain favorable outcomes, yeah. you know, where I saw classes of people get treated mm-hmm. differently. And I want to say this, too. Um, and I I think I mentioned this to you yesterday when we was at the summit that The state of Florida sends more juveniles to prison than any other state in our nation. The state of Florida. So now that we're in our state and we're in our county, in Hillsborough County, what is the number that we're sending juveniles to prison? So we're catching them at a young age. The state of Florida, I mean, they can Google this. The state of Florida sends more juveniles to prison than any other state in our nation. And if that's not alarming to you, if that's not saying that we are taking your children— Away from you, from putting them in, giving them the opportunity to go to college, we're gonna put them in prison.
6: If you don't raise them, we will. <laughs> We—that's my mom used to. My mother's an attorney, and it was like, you know, hey, listen, if you if you ain't gonna raise them, there's people right there behind the bars that will.
4: That's right.
6: And 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 I can tell you, folks, I know a lot of people, a lot of people, who have had uh you know run ins with the law hell i've had run ins with the law hell you know every everybody everybody i know has had, has had a run in with the law if you if you have not had or know somebody who's had a run in with the law let me tell you right now don't look down on somebody else don't do it don't do, don't do it, it. Don't i'm do telling it. you like like my man life malcolm says um uh, you know uh A lot of us are political prisoners. A lot of us are political prisoners. And life will tell you, hang tight, brothers. We're coming for you.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Or at the very least, we're economic prisoners because it's a racket, I mean, which is why it's important for them to keep filling those jails up.
4: Absolutely. It's it's definitely a money-making system. Um, But one thing I stand by is everybody can put out a forest fire. We need to be Mm. the society that prevents it. We need to be the people that if we're fighting for change, we need to prevent that prison pipeline. Absolutely. We need to stop that. So our children can be our future. They can be the people who run our society and not have the brush in with being in law enforcement. Or you see little children that say, I can't speak to the police because they'll arrest me.
6: Right, right, right.
4: Let me let me just let
6: me give you the opportunity to tell about where to let everybody know where this is going to take place. Um, the, book signs, the book signing. It's a book signing. Book, signing if, book release.
4: Book release party. If two, you, books. <laughs> two books. Two, two books. Two books, Walt. At um, first, I thought
6: it was one book.
2: The exclusive.
4: And
6: then, then it, and then you got the exclusive today, right here, folks, exclusively on the Sunday Forum. We've been told there is a second book uh,
4: that will be released on when? November 5th at the Water Street Marriott, 6 p.m. If you want more information, you can log into my Facebook, Walter Dunn. Um, Or you can catch me on Instagram, Motivational Walt. You can get it there either place. Eventually, my website will be up. It's already under construction to be able to run a full platform. And where I want to take this is I just want to be a speaker that can go around the country, tell my story, but also help people overcome the hurdles in their life to overcome the bondage that they have, because it's not only the people that's incarcerated. There's a lot of people that's free that's in bondage, too. Can't get out of situations Don't know how to get A a solution based mind There's a lot of things That I could talk about And not only Do I want this situation